second chapter of the book of Acts is the text for this sermon. There is often a difference between perception and reality. What something is perceived to be and what it really is. You know, things are not always what they seem to be. Some of us are made painfully aware of that often. Every time I went to see my daughter in in Del Rio, Texas, I got turned around. It's the only town in the world where the sun comes up in the west. I could could stand in my daughter's condominium and look out to the west and see the sunrise. It was amazing. And when I traveled north in Del Rio, I was really traveling south. Perception is not always reality. And communicators tell us that one of the big problems in communication is that oftentimes what you mean and what you say is not perceived to be what you mean and what you say. That oftentimes something happens between the time the word leaves your mouth and enters his ear. It gets all twisted. And that a person who is the most skilled in communication is a person who is able to make you perceive what is reality, make you understand what you say to be what you mean. Perception is not always the same as reality. And nowhere is that more pronounced than at the cross. The perception was that Jesus is dead, that evil has triumphed, that hope is banished, that God has failed, and that they're left alone. And in the words of Ernest Campbell, they left too soon because they should have stayed around to see the reality, which was that Jesus is alive, that good indeed has triumphed, that hope is throbbing, that God is victorious, and that they are not alone. Now that Jesus is alive, the church spreads out. And in a few days, they're in Jerusalem, and it's party time. I mean, they're partying in the streets. And they've come at 9 o'clock in the morning to celebrate life. And they're so full of life and so throbbing with excitement that they look like they're drunk. That's what's perceived. And the people said, these guys are drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. And they were accusing them of that. That's how they were perceived. And Simon Peter gets up and raises his voice. Now, I'm not the only preacher that has done that in his... He raises his voice and he explains to them what's happened. He said, now guys, we're not drunk. He said, you know that nobody gets drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning and those who have been drunk the night before certainly are not in a partying mood at 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, "You, you need to understand what has happened here. We've just come from a resurrection. We've just seen Jesus, and everything is different now. And that's why we're partying in the streets, and that's why we're celebrating life, and that's why we look like we're drunk. We're drunk with new wine. We've just seen the Lord. We've just been to a resurrection. That word is the key word in Scripture, the resurrection. That is the key word in this sermon that Simon Peter preaches because apart from the resurrection, there is no reality. He said, because we've just seen the Lord risen, we understand now that the gospel is not exclusive. The gospel is all-inclusive. No wonder they were celebrating. I want you to notice what he said in verse 21. 
Now, Simon Peter is quoting from the prophet Joel, and he said, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. Now, folks, that's revolutionary pronouncement. Anytime you use the word everyone, you've got a revolution on your hands. Everyone has the right to vote. Everyone is equal before the law. Anybody, everybody has the right to free speech or freedom of the press or freedom of assembly. Everybody, revolutionary pronouncement. Not just the few, not just the landed gentry, not just the elite, not just the privileged, everybody. And so Simon Peter gets up and makes this revolutionary pronouncement that everybody can be saved. Everybody. Not just some esoteric group of super spiritual folks who are the sole proprietors of the kingdom. Everybody. He said, why, we've just, we just discovered that veil was rent from top to We need to remember that and we need to preach it who, regardless of where he's been or what he's done or who he is. He can be saved. Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord. Everybody. The gospel is all inclusive. No wonder they were happy. He said, now we've just come from a resurrection. We've just seen the Lord, which means that he's not dead. And neither should we be. Neither should we be. I want you to look at what he says. Verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, this same man, was delivered up by the predetermined and plan and foreknowledge of God. He wasn't crucified because man arrested him and he was delivered up by God. It was a part of God's predestined plan. You nailed him to the cross, all right, by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an enemy into the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Now underline that. What he's saying is that God raised up Jesus in order to raise you up. You don't have to stay dead. God raised up Jesus and gave him life in order to give you life. That eternal life is life that comes now in, in faith with Jesus and in linkage with him by faith and lasts forever. No wonder they were celebrating. God raised him from the dead and delivered death to death. Death is dead, he was saying. A few months ago, I preached a funeral in this room. Life, I tell you, was everywhere in here. Bess Murphy was buried. Was, her funeral was preached in this room. Her family marched in singing hymns of praise and victory and marched out singing them. I got outside. And here comes Joanne Sheldon and her family. They just marching down ahead of the casket singing victory in Jesus. Got outside, kept singing it. I mean, life was everywhere here. I didn't preach her funeral. She preached it. I just got up here and underlined a few things about her life and showed how God had blessed and tried to give emphasis to the fact that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, death cannot hold you. You don't have to stay dead. 
You don't have to live in the deadness of your sin. He's conquered death. David Pauling went out to the West Coast to visit his mother. She was 85 years old, lived in a nursing home. When he left, she said, David, the next time you come to see me, if you can't find me, you know where I am. He did. He knew that there is no death. You don't stay there. Life is there. Life is there. And in the words of, of James Stewart, God in Jesus did something to all of our sunsets. Christ, said Clement of Alexander magnificently, has turned our sunsets into dawns. Now that doesn't mean that death is not real. I mean, we all know it is. No use for us trying to gild the lily and cover over the fact of death and camouflage the tomb and refuse to talk about it. Death is real. Did you hear about that family whose uh, the, the father, the husband died? He'd been a scoundrel. He'd been terrible. They had his funeral. You know, usually the family sits right down at the front. The preacher was up there trying to make that guy better than he really was. He was doing as best he could with, the, with what he had to work with. He's really painting over the outside of the reputation, just really making him better than he was. The widow reached over there and punched her son and said, Would you get up and go look in that casket and see if that's your father in there? We may be at the wrong funeral. <laughs> oh, no, oh, we're not at the wrong funeral. But you, when, you, when, you have, when you have a trusted Jesus Christ and the living Lord lives in your life, there's no need to gild the lily and cover up and camouflage death. There is none. No real death. And no wonder they were partying in the streets. But Jesus was alive, which means that they were. They were. Third, he said, we've just seen a resurrection, so this is a happy time for us. This is a happy time. I want you to look with me what he said in verse 25. He's quoting from David now. He's taking in the prophet and the psalmist. He said, For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in thy presence, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted, praised. Moreover, my flesh also will abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Look here. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness with thy presence. Where in the world did gloom and doom become a part of the Christian message? Where in the world did gloom and, glo and doom get on the staff of the average church? Huh. I said this morning, where did the gloom and doom become the associate pastor you know, of the church? And everybody looked at Lee. I guarantee you, he, he's not gloom and doom. I, I was using that analogous of the fact that getting into the, you know, to the Christian gospel and the Christian church, where did gloom and doom become a part of what we're doing? When did that happen? Historically, we're related to the Puritans. The Puritans were wonderful folks. They were moral and honest and trustworthy and hardworking and, and good people. They were wonderful people, but they loved drabness. They just loved drabness. And they stole color from the Christian message. They robbed the Christian message of its color. Now, whether we like it or not, we are socially and historically and somewhat theologically related to the Puritans in more ways than one. And we, we, where's, where's the color, you see? There was a time when the early followers of Francis of Assisi, the early 
Franciscans had to be asked to leave the church because they were laughing too much. And early Methodists, believe this, early Methodists used to go down to the dance halls, to the dance halls, and get the music that everybody was listening to and put their religious words to it because it had life. Now, when do we start dying? When do we start subtracting joy from the Christian message? When do we start getting this gloom and doom part of what we do? And when did we get, where did we get the idea that God likes you better if you're sad? You know, morose and down and out, gloom and doom. You know, where did that ever get in? How did that get in here? And how, and why are we letting it happen now? Why are we, why are we letting it keep on? I mean, the Puritans didn't even believe, they, they believe you shouldn't eat mince pie. And they stopped dancing around the maypole. I mean, they were good, good folks, but they just were against, they were just against fun. And some of you may have grown up in a home like that. You know, no fun on Sunday. I heard about a little boy that grew up in his home and, and he wanted to read, the, came home from church, he wanted to read the funny paper. Uh-uh, no fun on Sunday. <laughs> he got the funny paper, took it away from him. He said, can I listen to the radio? No, it's for television. No, that's worldly. No radio on Sunday. He said, can I go outside and play some? No, can't go outside and play. He's dying to do something. He lived out on a farm. He walked out there and there was an old mule standing out there by the fence. Just standing there doing what mules do. Just kind of looking like. And this little boy walked over there and he started stroking that old mule's face. And he looked at that old mule and said, you must be a wonderful Christian. <laughs> I met James Avery down at Kerrville, Texas. He, he's, the one, he's the guy that manufactures this religious jewelry. Wonderful stuff. I, I, I wanted to say, why don't you manufacture some mule faces? And folks can wear them in their lapels. And, and they can say, when somebody asks them, where, where do you belong? They say, I belong to the mule church. They say, well, what, what's your doctrine? They say, we don't have much doctrine. We're just against everything. And the main thing we're against is fun. We're against that. We don't want to have, we don't want to have any fun. Let me tell you something. This is a celebration. Now, I get burnt out just like the rest of you, and I get kind of down, and when the church meets, I kind of dread coming too. God forbid that happens. Well, I tell you what we ought to do when we get up in the morning. It ought to be excited. Well, I can't wait to get out there where we're going to party in the streets and we're going to celebrate because the Lord is alive. I've just seen Jesus. That makes all the difference in the world. I mean, this is a happy time. And so all those folks that go around, you know, negative against everything, get in here with us. We're going to celebrate. And God help me, I'm going to be with, leading the pack. This is a time of joy. Right? Amen? That's good. Now, one thing, one more. He said, we're celebrating because now we have a sense of direction in life. Watch this. He said, we're celebrating because now we have a sense of direction. I want you to look at verse 40 with me. He said, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. That word perverse what does that mean? Does that mean that during, during Peter's day that everybody was sorry and wicked and crooked? No. The word is untoward in the King James and it means without a sense of purpose. 
Perverse means to wander without a sense of direction. It's like a, like a river that just kind of wanders you know, along the lines of least resistance. The word disaster is a nautical term, a nautical word. It comes from the word disastro, astro meaning star, from the, from the word astron, from which we get the word astronomy. And it evolved this way. Whenever navigators were out, you know, on the sailing, if they didn't have access, they couldn't see the sun or the stars, they were covered with clouds, they lost their way, they had no guide, they had no sense of direction. It was a disaster. Disastron, disastros. In about 1000 A.D., the Chinese invented the compass. And it came to Europe about 1100 A.D., but the church, believe it or not, had its intellectual inquiry firmly planted in the deep freeze. And so the church thought that this lodestone was black magic. Nobody's going to use a compass around here. That's black magic. But these sailors, these navigators, would slip those compasses on board. You ever wonder why they were in a little box called a little house? It's because they, they'd put them on that little box and slip them on board because if some of the sailors knew they had them, they'd, they'd, they'd think God was going to curse them. That thing was of the devil. But now with this lodestone that points to magnetic north, they not only could determine latitude north and south of the equator, but with the help of a clock, they could determine lo longitude, that is, east and west from a certain point. And they took that lodestone, and the word means, lo means lead star, really, and they, they, found, they found a sense of direction. I mean, they didn't have to have the sun or the stars. They had this lead star, this lodestone, and it guided them through the darkness, through the uncertainties. It saved them from disaster. That's what Jesus, that's who He is. That's what He does. He's the lead star. And He puts His Holy Spirit into our heart, who is the lodestone. And He gives us a sense of direction. You know what He does? He saves us from disaster. So that a life apart from Jesus Christ, a life outside of Jesus Christ, is a disaster headed for a disaster. And so God, in His marvelous grace and love, put this lead star on earth, and He put His lead, His lodestone inside of our heart, and He points us in the right way, and it's no accident that a star pointed the way to where Jesus was born. Get this scenario, if you will. A man comes in the dark of night. He's lost. Can't find his way. He comes to a little, 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 little uh, lake, pond. It's frozen, solid. And he starts out on the pond, and he slips, and he falls, and he hurts himself. He can't see, doesn't know where he's going. Finally says, what's the use? He turns back to where he was. Another man comes to the same pond in the same night, lost the same way. He starts out on the pond. He too slips. And he's almost tempted to turn back and say, what's the use? But up ahead of him, he sees a light. Across the pond is a light. And he knows that that light is the symbol and the sign of hope and warmth and love and salvation. So he keeps on going toward the light. 
There's some of you this morning who have come in the dark. You don't know where you, your life has no purpose, no sense of direction. And there have been more times than one when you wanted to say, I, oh, what's the use? I quit. And you just said, if this world will stop, I'll get off. But there's some of you this morning who maybe can see the light, see the lead star, the lodestone. And that lead star is the sign and the symbol that there is hope for you, there is life for you, there is warmth for you, there is purpose for you. And so you give yourself to the lead star and the lodestone. That's what Peter's saying. Hurry up and do it. Hurry up. Right now, in the midst of all of this, I want you to come and join the party. I want you to come and celebrate life because I'm convinced that's what everybody's looking for. I quit with this. A few months ago, old uh, Peanuts cartoon had old Snoopy up there on the top of his doghouse, laying there, just spread out, sprawled out on top of his doghouse, ears hanging down, forlorn look. He's staring ahead. He says, I spend most of my life staring at that back door, waiting for my supper to come out. He said, that door is 78 inches high, 32 inches wide, has three hinges, five screws in each hinge. It squeaks when you open it, and it slams when you close it. Last frame. I'm an expert on back doors. <laughs> I'm an expert on back doors. Some of you have spent your life staring at back doors, hoping somebody give you a handout. I'm offering you this morning, by the mercy of God, the open door to life. No handouts, nobody, no back doors, just an open door to an empty tomb and life and life. I want you to get up in a moment when we sing our invitation. I know it's hard to do on Easter. We have more people on Easter and less, less people respond on Easter than any other time. It's going to be different today. Already two people told me before the service started, I'm going to get saved this morning. Isn't that great? I've just been kind of killing time, getting them again. So, so they'll get ready. It's going to be different today. I'm going to ask you this morning, you who are without a sense of purpose, you who are without life, get up out of your seat in a moment. After we've had our prayer, the choir will stand, we'll stand, we'll start to sing. Come down this aisle and give your heart to Jesus. I'll tell you, He's more present today than He was then. He hasn't gone. Begin to live. Begin to live. I'm going to ask Christian people who are members of this church or other churches, you come and join the party. with No gloom and doom. Look, with, with, with commitment to reaching people with excitement, you will come to say, Pastor, I'm going, to, I'm going to say to you today, I'm going to rededicate myself to the winning of the lost, to the reaching of Durant for Christ. I'm going to do it. I want you to know that I'm with you here. You may maybe some many of you come to do that, that, that Lee and others will have to just, just come up here and then come back. That'll be all. Some of you need to join the church. Today's the day to do it. Now you understand the invitation begins after we've had our prayer and our choir starts singing. You understand the invitation to come? I'm coming to say, I want to get in there. I'm, you know, I've been too long, too far away. Or I'm coming to join the church this morning, place my life there by statement or by letter R. I'm coming today because I want to be, I've, I've been saved, I trusted the Lord maybe, and I want to come and publicly declare my faith. Let's bow and pray.
Father, I thank you for the good news and the excitement that surrounds this day and the Christian faith, the Christian church, the Christian message. Everyone, anybody, can be saved. Jesus is alive. We don't have to remain dead trespasses and sins. There's a party. It's a glad time. It's a happy time because we have a sense of reason and purpose for life, for life. God, I pray that you'll bring us all to that joy of salvation, the excitement of following Jesus. And may there be a decision this morning that would make a difference for all time in homes and in lives and in this community and in this church. I pray this in the name of Jesus and for His sake. Now, it's going to take some courage because there's a big crowd. I guarantee you, if you start beside, just start your way out, they'll let you by. So let's do it while we stand. You come.